Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. I should be on. The light screen. There we go. Yeah. Is that it? Now... My voice is struggling today, so you're going to have to turn me up extra good, probably. Yeah? Okay. Um, Good morning, everybody. And it's so cool. Last week, we were talking about how, um, you know, we weren't worried about room, right? We just weren't going to be worried about it. We've we've prayed about it. We've trusted the Lord for it. Um, And we just weren't going to be concerned. We were just going to invite, we're just going to invite the lost to come be a part of what's going on. And. And we're going to bring our friends without any concern. <clears throat> I was h- hanging out in the entryway this, this uh, I think it was Friday morning at the church, and, and Chris Miller said, hey, I'm going to go down and look to see what they got done this week. Uh, because I've been in his ear like every other day about when's the work going to be done, how much space are we going to have. I had no idea that when I got down here, we'd have this much space. And so... I was, I was shocked. I mean, it's a huge answer to prayer. And um, in this space, by the time the balconies are done, I, I think that we could, we could, we have space for another hundred people. Um, you know, look at all this extra room I've got this week. I don't even know what to do with it. I'm going to use it, but, but I don't know. I mean, we could fit, we could fit chairs here, you know? And so I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, I'm blessed uh, to have Brooke with us, uh, where is she? There she is, Brooke. And the Schaefer family's here. Is Nikki here? Where? Oh, there she is. There she is. It's so good to have them here. And, um, and last week, you, you, some people were asking, like, who were you crying about being weird at the beginning of service last week? And that was because I saw Brooke, if you didn't catch that. Brooke was sitting right up front, and it caught me by surprise. And, and so we always love to have our family here. It's a, it's a blessing. And look, how they're all clumped together over there, like, like they've got each other's back and they know what's up, right? But it's so sweet and we love them so much. And, um, and I'm looking for a husband for Brooke. And <clears throat> so the appreciation dinner, the appreciation dinner. Um, so, okay, so uh, it's my responsibility to make sure I hit this hard. And that means that, that anybody in this room that has been serving in ministry for six months-ish or more, okay, um, you know, you've, you found your way into ministry and you've been serving for six months or more, you need to get your phone out right now and sign up for the appreciation dinner. And that's because, um, first of all, you know it's the right thing to do. The, the second thing is you know that I work with Deb Mulder. And what, what that means is uh, Deb is going gonna, is gonna to pop into my room, hey, Brandon, um, every other day uh, because Kaya has not yet, you know, signed up for the appreciation dinner, and we don't know how many ham hocks to get. I don't know what we're eating. I've, I just made that up. I don't even know what a ham hock is, but whatever it is, is in the basket of that bike uh, in the slide, the previous slide. Anybody see that? No one saw that. It's not, that joke's not going to work. Uh, they get it. These four right here get it. Anyway, um, so make sure even right now, have your phone out 
Click on the link uh, on the events page. It's going to take you to my MBT, and there's a form to fill out. Just say that you're coming. And then the last thing, this is very important. This is a very busy week, uh, is we have the ministry fair immediately following this service. So we're actually going to get done early today so that everyone can make their way. Kai is really bad about hanging out for a really long period of time down here. And so we need to make sure that we're making our way down the street if you're going to be a part of the ministry fair. Uh, that's for anybody in this group, especially. You know, we, we like to say this thing, that, that, uh, and it's true, it's very, very true, it's very biblical, is that God doesn't need us for anything, right? He can get his job done, right? He knows what he's up to. If the stewards fail, he's always got another plan, all right, to get to where he wants things to go. Now, we're all stewards, and the beautiful thing is even though he doesn't need us, he, he, he wants us. He wants us to be a part of ministry because it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. It's an honor to be a part of it. And then, and then beyond that, I will say uh, selfishly as a human being who's not divine, um, I don't just need you in ministry. Like every person, I'm looking at everybody. I'm trying to look everybody in the eyes. I don't, I don't you know, just want to have you a part of ministry. I personally need you to be a part of this ministry, because we can't, as a body, be everything we're supposed to be without you. And we want you to be fitly joined. And so today is an opportunity for you to, uh, to go find a place where you belong. We've got a lot of new people here that have been coming over the last few weeks or months. And uh, you want to know what the first step is? Uh, and a lot of people have probably told you, oh, go to the new members meeting, or blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's all good stuff. But, but you've landed here at a, at a really interesting time, because we do the ministry fair once a year. And it's perfect. The timing's perfect for you. It couldn't be any better. You can go find a place and you can ask yourself, well, what's my gifting? What is it that I enjoy? What am I good at? I like working with kids or I like helping. I like administrative things. Um, I like, I'm very hospitable. All these different aspects of your life, skills and character qualities can be applied to the work of ministry. And we, would, we as MBT, would ask that you would uh, go check that out today. Okay? Acts chapter 20. You guys there? Okay, not too long ago, in Acts chapter 18, I preached the message, I'm going to fall. It's going to happen, and you're going to laugh at me. I'm going to fall, I'm going to trip on this. So I'm just going to prepare you in advance so that the laughing is not as great as it would be otherwise. All right, you spare my, I might even just do this. Can I do this for the, is the camera going to be messed up if I do this? Okay. Um, not too long ago, we were in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, we preach this message about friends and farewells, right? Um, it'll be vivid in my, my mind for a long time. That message was very powerful for me to study and to think about how in ministry we make friends. We build these relationships. We build these bonds knowing that the Great Commission demands that people go, that they, that they leave, and that they go to other places, much the same way we've had to say goodbye to the Schaefers and, and to Brooke and other people that we care and love about. Uh, love, uh, but but we, we're gonna, this is a part of our ministry. This is a part of who we are. As long as we're ministering and we're building relationships with one another, uh, th there, there's going to be moments of pain where we have to send someone off and say goodbye. Now, I preached that message uh, not knowing that a friend of mine would be passing away within a week after that message. So Mark Trotter died the week after I preached that. And I wasn't even considering the fact that that was even an option. Like in my mind, uh, Mark was going to have his surgery. He was going to get better. And uh, we'd still have some more time with him. And, and so, uh, you know, he passed away. And in that time, I've been thinking about this idea of farewells a lot. Like, control yourself. 
keep it together, okay? You're good. You're all right. <clears throat> um, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know? And I've been thinking, you know, people have been using this, this, these, this phrase with Mark uh, uh, about his legacy. And I've been thinking about the relationship between saying farewell to him and this idea of having a legacy, right? Um, we, all we all have a legacy. Legacy sounds really profound and like amazing, something only like the most, the most genius of people have a legacy. But the truth is we all have a legacy. Legacy just means what you leave behind in your wake, right? In the wake of your life. What is it that you leave behind that people can remember you by or hold on to? What way did your life impact others? That's all that that means. And so I've been thinking about legacy a lot uh, since his passing. And in that contemplation, I've been forced to think about what it means uh, to, to leave something behind in ministry and in ministry and church life. Uh, we've got a testimony. Every single one of us is uh, setting a pattern of works that we will leave behind one day. And, uh, and that might happen uh, in, in the transition of ministry. Okay, it could be really simple. It could just be like, you know, Miles is going from this ministry, he's handing it off to someone, and then he's going to this ministry. Or, or it could be that, that, that one day, Andrew might be forced to hand FOI to someone else and go and plant a church somewhere else, and he's going to leave a legacy. What is he going to leave behind so that that ministry can go from strength to strength, something, a foundation that can be built upon? And every minister of the gospel needs to leave behind something that's, that's sure, that's true. It's very, very important. And it was, in fact, this is the, this is the focus of our, our retreat together. Uh, but this idea that we set a pattern of works and we leave it behind is really, really important, uh, especially if we expect to hand the mantle on to the next generation. Now, the last time we were together in Acts chapter 20, we talked about what it means to love biblically. And there's gonna, what we're going to see today between what we're studying now and what we studied last week is that these concepts are going to kind of collide. This idea of legacy and the way that one loves, you're going to see some overlap here between last week's sermon and this week's sermon. But I want to I make sure that we're looking at the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we minister in a way that considers when we, when we pass away, when we leave this ministry and go to the next, when we endeavor elsewhere... What is it that we actually leave? Is that love? Is, that, is the message? Is the ministry? Is it strong? Right? Is it strong? Is it something that other people can build upon? And we're going to look at that in terms of Paul's life today. Okay? Cool? Is that cool with everybody? Okay. Let's pray. And then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we love you. And uh, we've got... Uh, we got just a very short period of time to look at your word today before we, we leave and get to the ministry fair. And uh, in this time, we need, you to, we need you to pack a heavy punch because um, there's a lot of work to get done. And there's not, there's not enough laborers. There, there never really has been enough laborers. There's plenty, been plenty of promise from you, God. You've met your end of the deal. There's been plenty of promise from you. There's been plenty of blessing. There's been plenty of surety as it concerns the harvest that awaits us. But really, at the end of the day, the laborers are few. And then the laborers that work the field are so often negligent. When we look about, uh, look about and we consider the church at large, and we think about <clears throat> the decades and the, the generations and even the millennia that have passed, how often are Christians negligent in their duties and how often they fail to be transparent and open 
to have their legacy, to have their testimony inspected. How afraid they are of criticality, of being, of being tough on themselves, really considering who they are, and then allowing themselves to truly be conformed to your image, it's just rare. It's just rare. And it's so often rare, even in my own life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would challenge us today and give us the strength and the courage to really analyze our life and to ask ourselves hard questions about what it is that we're leaving behind, even from day to day, even in our workplace, even in, even in our interactions. What do we leave behind that has impact? So help us. Open our eyes today. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Let's begin by looking at verse 13 as Luke writes about the team and their, and their upcoming journey. Obviously, we know that, that, that Paul is trying to make his way to Jerusalem for Pentecost. We're not there yet. Okay? Let's start in verse 13. And we, and we, we being us, the group, you know, Luke is writing here. Uh, we went before to ship and sailed unto Asos, there intending to take in Paul. For so he had appointed. That's what, that's what Paul wanted. It was for them to pick him up, to meet up with them. Uh, minding himself to go afoot. And so as they leave Troas, that's where they were at previously, and uh, them and their friends, uh, you know, this is the place where the Eutychus was resurrected. You remember this in Corinth? And so they leave Troas, uh, not Corinth, but uh, uh, in, uh, it's a Grecian city, okay? They're leaving, and they're working their way along the coast of Asia Minor, and as the team sails off, Paul decides that he wants to walk. And so I think we have a map. If you could bring the map up here. Um, we'll come back to that slide if you don't mind. So you can see Troas up there. I can't reach it. But they're going to, to Asos just below it. So this is probably about a half a day journey on foot. By boat, it would probably just take maybe an, an hour or two at max, right? And so they're just going to sail along the coastline. Um, and, and Paul decides, look, I, I'm going to actually walk. Because, he, you know, who knows? He's, he's a man with a lot on his mind, right? You can't blame him for wanting to, for wanting to walk and be alone for a while. And because, uh, you know, that's... Sometimes that's hard to be alone, right? It's uh, hard to find time like that. So he decides to walk. Verse 14. And when he met uh, with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Mytilene, and we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Tro uh, Trogilium. Okay, I practiced that word. That one's not easy. And the next day we came to Miletus. All right? And so let's look at the map again, because th this, this particular journey, there's a lot of bouncing uh, back and forth. So they're traveling along the coast of Asia Minor, and you can see them leaving from Asos. In between, they see Chios there to the left, and then there's the peninsula that sticks out. They go past there, uh, down to Samos, and then they work their way uh, over to Miletus. That's where they're at, okay? And uh, so they came to Miletus, which is about 28 miles from Ephesus. In verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders uh, of the church. Okay, so here's the deal. Paul's near the end here, y'all. Like, there's going to be these moments uh, where we, ha we, we have a lot of, we hear from Paul a lot between here and the end of the book because he finds himself imprisoned. And, and this is where his ministry gets disrupted a lot, a lot from this point on. And uh, because of that, he's like, in, he's in front of the Romans, and he's like pleading his case, and he's talking about his ministry, and all these things are going on. And, uh, and so, so he's got a really important agenda in mind. He needs to get to Jerusalem, and then he needs to get to, to Spain and Rome, and he's got all these things in mind. 
And he knows that he doesn't have time to spare. So because of that, he doesn't go back to Ephesus and say one last goodbye to the Ephesians. I mean, he spent so much time there. So much love and energy was invested. But he can't go back there because he knows if he gets there. You know what it's like when you get to a family reunion, right? This is, like, this is why it's like weekends. Family reunions for some families, like it's a whole weekend. Because it's, it takes hours, right? I mean, I'm sure that like Brooke with her family this weekend, it's like, I think all day Saturday, you just spent with family because they're in your ear, right? And uh, they want to hang out. They want to catch up. And the same thing's true. So Paul's like, I, I'm not going back to Ephesus because I don't have the time to spare. I don't have days to spare. And so I want you guys to call the elders of Ephesus to meet me here in Miletus so that we can hang out because I've got one last thing. What the heck? This is one of those days, I guess. I'm just all caught up. Um, I got one last thing I need to say to him, Okay because I might not ever see him again, right? And so this is a big deal. This is his farewell to Ephesus. Now, as we consider the things that Paul is supposed to be saying to them, all right, the very first thing that we need to consider is that he's presenting himself to them, okay? He's presenting himself to them. He's saying, look, y'all, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what I need to share with you, I want you to look back on my testimony before you, and I want you to consider my life in front of you. Okay, so let's look at verse 18. We're going to look at Paul's transparent life. Verse 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all at all seasons. And so what we have here in Paul's farewell message is what he say, says to them is, Ye know. In other words, we would say, okay, y'all know what's up. Okay, you have seen my life. You know, you've done the inspecting. You've seen me over and over again. In fact, he goes on to say, you've seen me in all seasons. In other words, all seasons of life, right? All seasons of life. You know, uh, 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 a lot of times what I say to uh, a, a couple that's dating one another is that you don't honestly know that person that you're dating until you've seen them in all seasons of their life. And, and in a very general sense, that could mean 365 days, all the seasons of the year, right? But um, less important than that is all the seasons and the patterns that life have, right? So in, in times of trial, how do they respond? How, how do they, what do they do in those moments where life is at its most difficult? Have you seen them respond in those seasons? Have you seen them interact with other people? Have you seen them ministering? Have you seen them uh, elated and full of joy? Have you seen them in seasons of celebration? Have you seen them in seasons of sadness or anger or frustration? Have you seen the seasons of their life? And once you have, then you can know their testimony, and you can know whether or not that's the type of person that you want to marry. Does that make sense principally? And here what we have is Paul saying, look, you guys know me. You've seen me in all the patterns. You've seen me in the seasons, the cycles of, of the earth spinning around. You've seen me in all the seasons. We've spent year after year together. And uh, you've seen me in all the seasons of my life, the times of sadness and frustration and anger and difficulty. And you've seen all those things, yeah? And so Paul says, you've watched my life and learned what kind of person I am and what I stand for. And nothing has been hidden. Nothing has been hidden. Now, in our world, it's funny, we value transparency so much. We talk, we use words like vulnerability all the time. These are, this is a part of the millennial Gen Z vernacular, right? Is being authentic, being the genuine you, 
right? And so all of the, the catchphrases and all the phraseology has everything to do with this idea that you need to make sure that you present the authentic version of you, and, and that needs to be true regardless of what people think. Okay, but the, the funny thing, the ironic thing about that is that we live in an age of personal branding, where the, the version of you that gets presented constantly is actually the best version of you that you can come up with. In other words, you've been empowered through social media and the way that we live, the way that we've structured our postmodern lives. The version that you put in front is actually probably just a fake identity anyway, but it feels really authentic. It looks really authentic, right? No one can tell that you use the filter on that photo. No one can tell, right? No, we can tell. We know. So the funny thing is, is that we talk a lot about being authentic, but what we really might mean by that is being the most authentic fake version of you possible. That's what we mean. But Paul is saying something completely different here. Paul, Paul did not have an Instagram, okay? So he had no way of presenting a fake version of him. The only version of him, of him that existed was the version with the people, interacting and dialoguing and living together, right? And in every community that he went into, he, he participated in their economy. He had a job. He made tents. He, he met people. He went to the temple. He lived life with people. And the only version of him to present was the version that people saw. And so Paul is declaring that he's an open book, that his life is tra transparent, that nothing is hidden. And why is this so important for a Christian in 2021 to think about? Why is this so important? Because, you know, people are watching. Whether you like it or not, people are watching you. And most people, <clears throat> most people are looking for an opportunity to accuse you. And when I say most people, I, I don't just mean the lost world who's looking for an opportunity to justify why they don't want to believe the nonsense that you preach. I'm not just talking about the lost, the unsaved. What I'm talking about is even Christians are looking at opportunities to say that your brand of Christianity, the Bible version, the biblical brand of Christianity is actually wrong and that you're a loser for, for, for taking this book so seriously. And people are looking for opportunities to accuse you. They're watching you. They're ready to point their finger at you at any moment. And as long as you're a committed believer, committed to ministry and the mission, people are going to be watching your life to see whether or not what you say is actually legitimate in your actions. Okay, so for Paul, as an example, for Paul, he was often accused by the people that he ministered to in the churches he, that he ministered at. People watching him with a critical eye. So like, for instance, he was criticized in Galatia for being a respecter of men. I mean, he planted that freaking church. And the people that he loved and he gave his life to, they pointed their finger at him and they accused him of being a respecter of men. In Corinth, he was accused of being weak. He was accused of seeking his own personal gain. He was even accused of lying to the church. In Thessalonica, he was accused of being proud. And the crazy thing is that Paul, what we can see is that Paul only ever just gave his life. Like this dude was down to die for what he believed in. 
And he loved those people so much, he's laid his life down. And it didn't change the fact that people were still pointing their finger at him and accusing him. And I'm telling you right now, from personal experience, from experience this week in my own life as a minister of the gospel, that people are going to point the finger at you. And you've got to be okay with it. You've got to remain an open book. You've got to remain unhidden. This is crucial to the Christian life. You, you, you want to invite people's critical eye. Because it, what it does is ultimately, ultimately, what's lost in the people who accuse you is gained in the people that recognize that Christ in you is real. So whatever is lost in your accusers, the pain that's felt when, when, when they despise you, is only just joy in the fact that along the way you're going to win some. That's good. And it's worth being vulnerable about. It's worth being transparent for. Uh, John chapter 18, verse 20, our Savior Jesus Christ says, And Jesus answered him, saying, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always, uh, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret, I said nothing. So what he says is, whatever, whatever I said in open was the exact same thing I said in secret. Nothing ever changed. My life was seamless from one place to the next. There was no private version of me that was different than the public version of me, which leads us to our first key point and our only key point for today. The mission-minded believer lives the same life in private and in public. And because you do, because you do, because the version of you at home is the same version of you at UMKC, because the same version of you at work is the same one that ministers holding the door open on the hospitality team here at church. That same version of you, both in private and in public, because it's the same version, okay? It leaves you open to inspection. It leaves you open, in fact, it leaves you vulnerable and more malleable for the work of conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. So do you have an open, a life open to inspection? Every single Sunday at, at 8.45, we meet, a group of us meet in Sam's office, okay? And it's the pre-service, uh, what do we call it? Pre-service coordination meeting. It's very formal sounding. We should probably work at coming up with something more brief. The pre-service coordination meeting. And you'll have a different person from the service coordination team, whether it's Havila or Riley or, or Gabrielle or Andy. Um, um, and who am I missing? There's one more person on the team. And Julia. Julia, there you are. She's, she's right there. Okay. Okay, they're in there. And what they do is they have a checklist. They have a list of all of the things that, that all of the teams need to consider as we go into service and allows us to get aligned. It allows us to get everybody on the same page. And it allows us to speak into one another's lives. So, for instance, Sam said today, as he often says, is the temperature in the sanctuary is not set right. Someone needs to fix that. Okay, point of coordination. He says that often. He's very sensitive about that subject. <clears throat> but, we, but it allows us an opportunity to inspect what we're doing, to check off the boxes, and get things right. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to check off the boxes and we're going to check them off according to what Paul says. So this is, this is a, today, this is an, an activity for engagement. And so the way that you take notes this week is going to be like a checklist for your life. 
All right? And that's mainly because I discovered that in PowerPoint, you can actually create an icon that looks like a checkbox. We're gonna show it. I'm proud of you. No, that, there, see? I discovered that. So you too can work a checklist on, in your notebook right now. Are we ready to do that? Okay, let's go to the passage. Okay, so what, this is what he says. He says, my life is open to your inspection. You've seen me in all seasons. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I just want you to look at my life and consider whether or not I lived a life according to God's word and according to the, to, to the, to the character that Jesus Christ demands of me. And so, so I've been open. Verse 19. And I've served the Lord with all humility of mind. I've served the Lord with all humility of mind. That's our first thing that we need to talk about. What Paul means is that he postured his life in service to the Lord with a spirit of humility, meekness, lowness, submission. All these words that we hate, right, is how he lived his life. He wasn't out for his own agenda. Now, here's the thing I want to point out. Now, we could talk about humility all day, and I'm not going to do a word study on that, even though I was tempted to. Okay? But what he does is he makes a point to say that humility is a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the mind. And I think that's important for us to get a quick look at our own lives and to consider uh, whether or not humility has begun in our mind first. So he knows that humility begins with the mind, determining that every thought that I have must be captive to Christ's lordship. Okay, now, I, I, listen to me. I'm not, I don't want to speak Christian speak right now. I want to be really honest with you. We have lots of thoughts. Many of you have thoughts going through your mind right now. I wonder what booth I'm going to visit at the ministry fair. Or, you know, what, I wonder if it's Papa John's pizza or Little Caesar's pizza that they're serving today because that makes a big difference about whether or not I actually attend. Or You're, you're thinking about things and thoughts... They come and they go and they, and they happen sometimes without us even knowing. They just kind of come and, and they're fleeting, right? The flashes of things in our mind and then we get refocused and then more flashes. And getting control of your mind is no easy thing. But listen to me, your humility is dependent on whether or not you get control of your mind. Now here's the deal. The mind exists in two categories. And they might, they might exist in a spectrum because thoughts are like that, Right? But if we're going to categorize them, and we're going to categorize them as the most simple terms, we can categorize them in two ways. The first way is humility, and the second way is carnality. Those are the only two versions of mind that actually exist at the end of the day. The humble version and the carnal version of your mind. And Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, the carnal mind is unruly. It's unsubmissive. It goes its own way. It functions to, to, to fulfill the desires of our flesh. It's working to that end. And so a lot of times those fleeting thoughts that you have, those pictures in your mind, those little moments, those are the ones that you've got to get the most captive. Those are the ones you've got to get a hold of. You've got to say no to. You've got to force to be subject to the lordship of Christ. Listen, if the testimony of our service before God and the saints is one of humility, if that's what we want, then our pride must be dealt with in the environment where it breeds. 
Did you hear what I said? If pride is actually going to be dealt with, then it needs to be dealt with at the root, the place where it breeds, and that is the mind. Right? And so you might do other things to discipline your life, right? You might, you might, you know, come up with regiments to, to suppress your flesh. You might say to yourself, this is my reading regiment. This is my journaling regiment. This is my ministry regiment. This is how I, this, I wake up at this time. I work out. I read the word. And you might have a regiment of disciplines that you force your body into. But the only reason those things are any good at all is because they serve to help change your mind about things. The only reason any, any discipline that exists is any good whatsoever is because it has the ability to help you change your mind about the way you see your world and the way you see yourself and the way you see other people. Does this make sense? We've, we've got to go here. And so you've got to ask yourself, what areas of my life do I allow uh, to remain carnal? What areas of my life, okay, I'm a Christian, I do the Christian thing, I, did, I went to the ministry fair, I'm in ministry, I'm in a Bible study, I'm doing discipleship, and there's a lot of things about my life that are changing. Uh, 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 don't be so quick. There are areas of your life, every single one of us, that we've restricted access from the Holy Spirit to. Areas of our life that remain carnal, ways that you isolate, ways that you indulge your, your fleshly tendencies, things that you allow yourself to look at or to consider or to contemplate. Maybe it's depressive thoughts. Maybe it's fears. Maybe, you, maybe you, you stoke different forms of anxiety in your life because in the quietness of your mind, you give them over to, to carnal thinking. Does that make sense? And so we've got to address things there. What areas in your life have you allowed to remain carnal? You know. I don't know. I don't know. You know. You know that. If humility begins with the mind, then how do I begin to transform my mind? How do I begin to transform my mind? Okay? Right? So you've got, you got some questions there. These are questions not for us they're not for me, they're for you. You and me as individuals to consider. If, I, if humility begins with the mind, then how do I begin to transform my mind? Now, what's the answer to that? Right, so one person knows. All this time together, we've spent all these years of ministry. One person knows the answer to how you change your mind. It's the word of God. Isn't you, there's only one way to change your mind. And that's to put the, the mind of Christ inside, inside your mind. It's the only way. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. It cleanses us of those repugnant thoughts, those wicked and, ang and, and anxious and fearful thoughts. Romans 12.2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The rene renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because we want the will of God is what we want. It's what we want. And so we need the word of God to get the will of God. So if we're going to replace our carnal mind with anything, it must be replaced with the word and the will of God. And that means that it has to be centered to what we're doing. And so the question is, if we're being transparent this morning, is can you be transparent enough with yourself right now, right now, to answer the question, are you allowing the word of God to actually transform even the thoughts that you've been hiding, even the aspects of you that you thought you couldn't change. 
Next box. Next box. We're not going to get through all this. It's not happening. Man, ministry fair. No, it's all good. So, number two, compassion. Compassion. So Paul says, I love it, um, one of the very first things that Paul talks about, he, he talks about his humility of mind, and then he, ma- he makes a beeline from the way his mind, like we often associate the mind with intellectualism, right? And maybe bodily control. But the next thing he addresses is the emotional flip side, the paradoxical aspect of that, the other side of the coin, is that even though his mind is humble, is that his heart is susceptible. His heart is susceptible. You know, and this is such a huge relief for me personally. Because what does it say? It says, with many tears. And I get that. I get that. But honestly, what, listen, if we're honest with ourselves, what's better? Okay, what's better in life? What's better? Then the knowing that the people that are supposed to care about you <clears throat> actually do. For me, there's, there's nothing better than knowing that you guys don't just say that you love me, but that you tie your heartstrings to that. That our lives impact one another in a, very, uh, in a very emotional way, in a very compassionate way. We care for each other. Does it always look right? No. Is it perfect? No. Will we fail each other? Yes. But we love each other dearly to the point where we can even shed tears. I just looked at Hannah just now, and Hannah made me cry last week, right? Right? Her testimony, the power of her testimony and the way, that, the, the way that we've connected over the years, right? It impact, it's impacted me, it's impacted you, and even though we don't hang out every day, like that would be fun and all, right? But, but the way that we live together in ministry means that we love each other, and the way, the way I love you and the way you love me affects everything that we do. We all need spiritual leaders who care enough to tie their heart to be vulnerable enough to shed tears for souls. And one of the things that folks always said about Mark Trotter is that everybody who engaged Mark Trotter felt like they were a close friend, right? You guys have heard that over and over again probably. Everybody that knew Mark felt like they knew him forever and that they felt really important to him. That's not an easy thing to achieve for Mark. You know how exhausting that might be emotionally for him? Okay, but he spent it. He spent it. And I'd much rather have 64 years of compassionate, heartbroken, (laughs) considerate, uh, I'd rather have that version of Mark knowing that he, he, he burnt out for the Lord than a version of him that's 85 or 90 years old but wasted his life because he didn't love people rightly. Because the version of him, the version of him that people that saw that people saw on the street wasn't the same version of the, the, the that we saw on the pulpit, which is a lot of pastors, right? 
A lot of pastors, they're a different person in the pulpit than they are in reality. And I'm so thankful that he spent every moment of his life, right, burning out in love for us. That's a much richer life. Even if, even if you lost 20 years, right, to worrying over the saints. You know, even if I, if I degradate my body in concern for you, even if I, if I lose a decade or two, but I loved you rightly, that's far superior than having a long life, having meant nothing. So here's the question for you about compassion. Do I share my emotions with those I love in my church? Okay, well, that's easy. Most of us, most of us can probably say yes. Some of us can't. And it's important that you share your emotions with the people in the body of Christ. So for you newer people into the class and into Kaya, recognize that what the Bible study provides for you is an opportunity for you to share your heart. And we want that. We want that kind of relationship with you, and we want to give you those opportunities. But you know, the honest truth is that in 2021, there is, there is no, you know, people feel okay sharing their emotions. Let's put it that way. Like, for the most part, people don't have a problem verbalizing how they feel, okay? Whether it's good or bad. Some of y'all need to shut up because <laughs> you're doing too much of it. You're thinking about yourself too much. Got too much you on the mind, okay? But the truth is we all at some level need to be sharing. Okay, but here's a more important question. It's the next one. Do I bear the emotions of other people in my church? Do I bear them? Oh, gosh. Do I burden myself with, with Joel's life and ministry? With Melissa's life and ministry, is it a burden to me? Do I carry it? Is it an honor for me to own the, what, whatever ever Edabon is going through, whatever Cody is going through? It's a joy. There's no other way to live. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. I, I don't, there's no way around it. That's a command. Like, it's not like, it's not a suggestion. So I don't know what to tell you for you people that have a hard time weeping. It's like, well, get closer to people. I don't know. Get closer. I, throw your life into it. Because at the end of the day, we ought to be rejoicing with each other and weeping with each other because we're so connected that the way that you live impacts everything about my life. Psalms 126.5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Look, there's also blessing associated with it. And so we've got to be compassionate. We've got to learn to shed tears for each other because we care. Not for any other reason than that we care. And I know that people in this ministry care for one another. And I know that people care about the lost. And there's nothing wrong with letting your heart yearn for people to the point of shedding tears. There's nothing wrong with that. One point I thought that there was. I thought there was something broken with me. Can I be really honest? That's a legitimate statement. About 10 years ago, I remember going to, well, it wasn't probably, it was like eight years ago, I remember going to John Kindler, you know, because he's like a counselor and stuff. And he's my friend. I'm like, dude, I really, I think something is the matter with me. I, every time I get in the pulpit for like the last month, I'm weeping like a little baby. Anytime I say, you know, I say the word Jesus, and I like, I fall apart, right? And he liberated me. And he said, what he said to me was like, that's not a curse. 
That's your gift. Right? That's your gift. And it took me about a year to believe it, but now I'm at a point now where it's like, you know, I'm too old to be mad about it anymore that I can't like... Right? It's just a part of who I am. But here's the deal. I can honestly tell you that the, that the only reason that it happens is because I care for two things. Jesus Christ and your souls. And Sam said this thing today, and I thought it was so good. He kept saying, you need to think like the pastor. You need to think like the pastor. And that's not because Sam is awesome, and it's not because I'm awesome. It's not because anybody's awesome. That's like the furthest thing from the truth. Anybody that knows me, even just a little bit, knows that I'm really not awesome at all. But here's the deal. What we mean by that is we need, we need you. The, the, the Great Commission needs you to care for souls at the level of a shepherd. That you need to love souls that way too, the way the good shepherd does. You need to love souls. And if you don't, if you, if you don't know what that's like, well then just keep coming. Because, because one day we want to say about you is, is, is I want to be able to say about David and I want to say about Hunter and Emily, I want to say one day when they're planning a church somewhere or something, you know how they loved souls? You know how they shed tears? That's how I want to be. I saw it. I witnessed it firsthand. And it's glory to God. Okay, so we didn't get very far today. Bummer. I thought for sure, like, I thought for sure that this was a 40-minute message. But we've got to go to a ministry fair. So this is what I'm going to leave us with. Like, everything tied together so well. Like, you missed the real conclusion. Like, I'm totally botching the real conclusion here. We're going to work through this. This is the way it's going to work. I'll do it next week. We're going to work through the list, and then we get to the end of the list, and we say, well, like, I'm not these things, and I, I recognize there's deficiencies here. So what do I do about that? Well, the, the very first thing you need to do is that you need to decide that you're actually going to be in ministry. Right? See, that was good, wasn't it? It was going to be really good. Because the truth is, no one can inspect your ministry if you're not in ministry. Yeah. Praise the Lord, right? And so I'm, ask, I'm going to ask you that question right now, because the ministry fair is going on, and some of you need to go. You need to make an excuse to go. Because you need to find your place in the body of Christ. You need, you need to own what's going on here so that one day someone will be able to inspect your life and say, they gave it all. And I remember where it started. I remember them on the hospitality team. I remember them in Kidtown. I remember them on security. I remember how they served. And I remember how it all started for them. And some of you, you need to make a decision right now. I'm going to go to the ministry fair and check it out, even if you don't make a decision right now. And then next year, you're going to be able to come to the ministry appreciation dinner where we can all say, look at how God used you this year. That's pretty cool. I love you guys. We've got a world to reach. <clears throat> but the truth is, if, if we're going to personally, if we're going to hide stuff away and, and 
and we're going to choose to let carnality remain, at whatever level you allow that to happen, at whatever level, right? That's an aspect of your life that you're withholding from the Lord, and it will prohibit your use. And it might even inflict, inflict a pain and suffering on the body of Christ at some point. So we've got, to deal, we've got to deal with our mind, and we've got to give each other our hearts. So we do want to end with worship. And I, and I want the invitation to look like this. Go to the ministry fair. You're invited. But if also, if there is an aspect of your life, something that you know that you haven't, you haven't laid on the table, something you've been holding on to, something you've been hiding, well, then you need to come up here and meet with one of the counselors and confess that and repent. Not a sorrowful repentance alone, but sorrow unto repentance that change might happen in your life. And I want you to work that out with a counselor. And so there'll be counselors up here who are ready to meet with you. Is that cool? Can we worship? Everybody stand. I'm going to pray. I love you. It's hot in here. We used to say it's hotter than a biscuit. It's hotter than a biscuit. I have no idea where that came from. But, but a biscuit should be hot, I guess. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Uh, we desire to follow you. We desire to learn from you, to learn your way. We say, we're saying way maker today, way maker. And you've given us a way, and you're, you're showing us a way. And when we look at Paul's life, we can see that he followed the way. And when his life is open for inspection, we can see all the ways in which we personally need to pattern our lives after the example that you gave us in Paul. So teach us. Help us. Lord, I pray for all the saints in this room right now, that if they're convicted of a sin, a matter in their life, an area of carnality, something that they've been withholding, that they would come forward and they'd deal with that today. Lord, if there's, there's any of us who recognize that, that our heart isn't fully connected to the body of Christ, we don't empathize, we don't weep with the, with the brethren, Lord, I pray that you would, you would call those people to press in more deeply, more intently, whether it be Bible study or discipleship or whatever it might be, the Lord, that they would learn to know what it's really like to be sensitive over the matters of souls. And God, I, I pray that as we close today, that if there's anybody that needs to find a place in ministry, that they would find it today. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.liv.